All right. <coughs> if you have your Bibles with you, turn uh, with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Again, that was 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Uh, the title of my message tonight is entitled, Fight the Good Fight. And my title is a partial of the verse I'm about to read here. Um, but First Timothy chapter twelve, uh, First Timothy not twelve, First Timothy chapter six, verse twelve. It says, "Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses." You know. <clears throat> You, you hear a lot of times these prosperity preachers, these big money-making preachers that run these big old mega churches. They will preach a gospel that will say, have your best life now, like Joel Osteen. And they'll tell you and they'll try to infer to you that Christianity is a walk in the park. That's not what we read here. Fight the good fight of faith. When you fight spiritually against our adversary, which is the devil, you will you will be beaten up. That's just a fact. When soldiers go to war and when they fight, they're going to get bruised, they're going to get hurt, it's, something's going to happen, right? You got some soldiers that will have a leg blown off, a leg torn, you know, whatever it might be. And, and you know that when we fight against the devil, there's going to be attacks. We're not just going to be just as we are without hurt. There's going to be some sort of thing. So with that said, you know that if we are fighting an adversary that comes at us with fiery darts and we will get hit from time to time and we will fall, that comes to show you that the Christian life is not easy. Because we battle sin every day. We battle our flesh every day. We also battle Satan every day and his minions the Christian walk is not an easy one but Christ promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us amen he will never leave nor forsake you so with that said having to fight that fight of faith is not your best life now so when you have preachers that will say, you got to live your best life now, they are lying to you. Yeah. And they're lying to you because they themselves are deceived, not knowing the truth. Amen? The Bible talks about that. <clears throat> and so in these times, we have to have, we, we, we need to fight that good fight of faith. But how is this? How, how do we do this? How is this possible? 
A lot of times we go through trials, we go through temptations, we go through things that are unpleasant. And the truth of the matter is, is I bet a lot of those times God uses those unpleasant things in our lives to teach us how to fight. And we'll be getting into that here in the second half of this message. But God wants us to learn how to stand and doing everything we can to stand. Why? Because when you stand, you can fight easier. I mean, if you sit down on a chair, you can't fight that much, can you? You just, <laughs> it, you just don't do much when you're sitting down. That's why we're called to stand. Amen? And I'm going to tell you something. There is a fiery trial that's about to come. And everything we go through, God is preparing you for that time. Amen. And He will, and God will make sure He'll do everything He can to help you to stand so that in that day you will stand. Not because of anything that you did. It's all because of the work that God did in your life. Amen. First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. <clears throat> it says. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which were went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. And so we are to endure hardness like a good soldier of Christ. We know that trials can be an unpleasant thing. Our trials and our tribulations that we go through you know we hurt and sometimes we doubt but even in the midst of that God God will help you through that you're never alone even though it may seem like you're alone you are never alone amen he's always with you sometimes he may seem distant or far away but that's not his fault It's our fault. It's our fault because we could have done something and committed a sin that brings us back. Brings us back. And before you know it, we get to a point where we just feel like he's abandoned us and he hasn't. It's just we've gotten away from him. And if we realize that we've gotten away from him, we have to go back to him. Run back to him. Amen. God loves and cares for us. <clears throat> more than we know. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through, through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You know, your Bible is the sword of the Spirit. It's not a physical weapon. It is a spiritual weapon. A spiritual weapon that God wants you to utilize. When Jesus was tempted of the devil after the 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, when Satan came to him and tempted him and and tried to even use the word of God, what did Jesus say? He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Even when the devil had threw out a verse and left some of it off, Jesus said, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Amen. 
The word of God is a weapon that we ought to use appropriately and defensively when need when when it is need for that. And we need that every day. Because the devil's always going to be waiting there, throwing his fiery darts at you and me and every one of God's children. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 through 18. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day Now check this out. And having done all to stand. Did you get that? It does not say all you have done to sit. It says all you have done to stand. Again, you can't fight a spiritual war sitting down. You can't fight a spiritual war laying down and sleeping. But you have to be awake and standing. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And sometimes I think we miss this. And we don't, we kind of disclude this, but it can't be discluded because this is the most important thing of all. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereon too with all perseverance and supplications for all saints. <clears throat> you know, the, uh, Jesus' disciples, you know, they came up to him and you know, in, in the in, in the context of casting out a devil, they they asked him, "Well, why couldn't we cast that out?" And Jesus said, "This kind can only be cast out by but by what? Prayer and fasting. That's right. So you see that prayer is important. We can't leave that out. And Really, there is more power to prayer than I think we realize. God answers prayer. And we don't realize how much of a weapon that is you that can be used against Satan. And I think too, a lot of times we we read through this and like, oh great, we need to put on the armor of God. Cool, great. Let's just do it. But how many preachers actually touch on the fact that there needs to be prayer? There needs to be... You know you know why I think a lot of churches are very powerless? They don't pray. They, they've taken out prayer out of the churches. Start doing all this mystical stuff that's not even biblical. Prayer is powerful and more powerful than we know. 
This is why we ought to pray. This is why Jesus said, as per, you know, this kind only can be cast out by prayer and fasting. <clears throat> Jonathan Edwards, I'm sure you probably are familiar with him. He's the same, the, Jonathan Edwards, the one who preached the message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Um, I found a quote that he said, I think a very powerful quote, that deals with the sword of the Spirit. And this is what he says. He says, It is the sword of the Spirit that pierces Satan and conquers him. It is that great and strong sword with which God punishes Leviathan, that crooked serpent. It is that sharp sword that proceeds out of the mouth of him who sat on the horse, with which he smites his enemies. Every text is a dart to torment the old serpent. He has felt the stinging smart thousands of times. Therefore, he is engaged against the Bible and hates every word of it. And how true that is. Satan knows the word of God so well that he's able to twist it. He's able to twist it, break it, conform it to ways that are unbiblical. Why do you think he left out of some of the verse when tempting Jesus? Because that next part after that verse talks about treading on serpents and, 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 and scorpions. He don't like that very much. <laughs> you just don't. And it's, it's why you have all these Bible perversions out there. Why? Because he hates the King James. If you know the history of the King James, and I won't get too too deep into it, but in, in a nutshell, King James uh, set 54 men down that were completely opposite to each other and had them peer-review each other to get what we have today. Seven years believe it started and it was commissioned in 1604 and then seven years later is 1611. But if you know what happened on November 5th, 1605, the Jesuits hired a name, a guy named Guy Fox to try to blow up Parliament and to assassinate King James. The same King James that set 54 men down to get this. And the Jesuits are no friends. They didn't want they didn't want the word to be getting out because they wanted them to rely on the Vatican. But you see, but you see how the devil does not like the word of God. Absolutely hates it. Matter of fact, he flees from it. There's a couple of things that he will flee. One is the blood of Christ. He does not like the blood of Christ. Second one is the word. That's why we ought to use the word. Amen. That's why it's good to study your word every day. This is why it's good to memorize. Why? Because the time comes when you may have to use it. Amen. <clears throat> um, Romans thirteen twelve. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. You know what's funny? 
what's really interesting, when you read each of the single pieces of armor that's mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6, it all points to Christ. It all points to Christ. You've got the helmet of salvation. How do we get salvation? Through Jesus Christ. The sword, is, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. That's Christ. The gospel of peace. Christ. Every piece of armor points to Christ. We are therefore to put on Christ. Why? Because Christ is our righteousness. He is our shield. He is our sword. He is our breastplate of righteousness. He is our helmet. He's every single one of those pieces of armor. Jesus said that without Christ, you can do nothing. If you don't have the armor on, it's open season, isn't it? You're not covered. We have to be covered in Christ. First <clears throat> Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. But let us who are the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. And the word of God is Christ. And he is the author and finisher of our faith. And we build our faith upon this rock. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. This rock meaning himself. Some people like to say, oh, that's talking about Peter. No, I ain't talking about Peter. Jesus is talking about himself because he is that cornerstone. He's the foundation. On this rock himself, he will build his church. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> with putting on the armor of God, like I said, there are times where Satan will attack. And God will allow that. And he'll do that to help teach us on how to fight. Job chapter 1, verse 8 through 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So, so Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. We see this as that Satan cannot do nothing without God's permission. Amen? Satan can't just go around torturing and killing people. That's He can't do that. He has to, he has to actually have permission from God to do so. 
You see, Satan wanted to afflict. He wanted to go after Job, and God said, yeah, you can go after him, just don't kill him. And he did. But first he went after the possessions. In Job chapter 2, verse 3 through 7, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, this is a second time, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and eschew with evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath he will give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils, the sole of his foot onto his crown. You see, Satan could not do anything without God's permission. Which means that whatever Satan comes at you with, God has allowed for a reason. And like I said at the beginning, is that there there are times, and there are probably times in our life that we will face, that God will put us in specifically to teach us how to fight. We ought to learn that. Amen. I mean, if we don't know how to fight, how can we how can we win? God has to teach us on how to fight. And we see this a few we actually see three witnesses of this from from David. In 2 Samuel chapter 22 verses 35 to 36, he says, "He teacheth my hands to war." So that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation. And thy gentleness hath made me great. In Psalm 18 verses 34 to 35. Again, he teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation. And thy right hand hath holden me up. And thy gentleness hath made me great. And Psalm 144, verse 1 through 2. Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war, and my fingers to fight, my goodness and my fortress, my high tower, and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I trust hath subdueth my people under me. I sometimes think we tend to discredit a lot of what we go through. We go through it, we just, we hurt, we, we, we have doubts, we get through it, we say, praise God, we got through it. But have we ever really taken a look at what God was either trying to teach us in that moment? I've, um, I've had a period just recently where it's been really rough for me, um, having doubts, about a lot of stuff, but was reminded. God had reminded me this week that He's simply trying to teach me how to fight. You know, sometimes, you know, there's a time coming where we will have to fight, and if we don't know how to fight now, how will we be able to fight later? 
That's why God needs to teach us. Amen. But rest assured that it's through Christ that we are overcomers. Christ, it's through Christ that we are overcomers. But at the same time, we ought to learn how to fight. Sometimes we have thorns in our flesh. We may need, you know, God may not take them out because he needs to leave them in because he knows that it will keep us humble. Consider Paul. And we'll be getting into that verse 2 here in a moment. Um, In Judges chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, it says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel had not known all the wars of Canaan. Now God told Israel, so when you come into the land, you need to wipe every, you need to wipe out all these nations. Because if you don't, there are going to be thorns in your eyes. They're just, they're, it's, it's not going to be good for them. But we see that Israel didn't do what God said. And as we will read, God allowed those to be left to prove Israel. To teach them how to fight. And God does that with us. And it says, Only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war. At the least such as before knew nothing thereof. You know, when the, the generation that came out of Israel, they knew how to fight. They did. But that generation, due to disobedience had to die in the wilderness because of their disbelief. So when their kids grew up, they didn't know anything about war. So God had left those nations to prove Israel whether they actually loved him or not. But they also he also did it to teach them on how to fight. And that's what God does with us. And he'll he'll use our and he'll use our thorns in our life to do so. See, sometimes God will allow Satan to beat on us, and he'll he's, he does it not because he hates us. He does it so that he can teach you how to fight. Sometimes we just get bruised. Sometimes we just get we just get tired and weak. But you know when when soldiers. When they go, like when they enter in the army, what do they do? They go through basic training. And what are they? What do the drill sergeants do? They yell at them. They, I mean, they will. They they work them hard. Why? They do that so that they can prepare these newcomers for war. This is what God does with us. This is like boot camp. Sometimes we're gonna get hurt. <laughs> But that's all part of learning. That's all part of what God is trying to do for us. Why? To strengthen us. Amen. <clears throat> now, namely, five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites that dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon under the entering in of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken on to the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. 
So you see that there's a couple of things that God was doing with Israel. Was to try to prove them whether they would obey the commandments, but also to teach them on how to fight. You know, these trials that we go through, that's what God does for us. He teaches us, he teaches us on how to fight, but he also does it to prove you. Amen. You see, he already knows whether you're saved or not. But he does it to prove Satan, yes, this is my child. But he also does it to confirm with you that, yes, you are his child. And he does that by the means of trials. They're not fun to go through. I understand. I don't like going through them. None of us really like going through trials. But they benefit us. We may not see that right now. But later on we will. Amen. Numbers chapter 33 verse 55. But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which ye let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and shall vex you in the land wherein ye dwell. Joshua 23, 12-13, it says, Else, if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them and go in unto them, and they to you, know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. So with all that said, we see how this can humble, thorns can humble you. And we see this with Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10, it says, And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. You see, Paul was very, a very extraordinary apostle. Not saying he was the apostle of all apostles, but he was, a, he was an apostle just like the rest of them. But he received a lot of revelation. And if you know anything about Paul, he was a Pharisee named Saul. Then he became Paul. He had a pride problem. He struggled with pride. And we see that in this text. He struggled with pride. And so we see that there was given to him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. And sometimes I think that's what we need is to have those thorns left in. Why? To keep us humble. And I know with me, I struggle with pride here and there, and I've struggled with pride in my past. And I've got thorns in my flesh that God has left in to keep me humble. And if he's done that for me, he'll do it for you. God has no respect of persons. It says, The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that I might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. You know, when we are weak and we, when we have thorns in our flesh, that's when the strength of Christ will manifest through us. It's not of our strength, it's his strength. You know, sometimes we go through things and it's hard. And I know it can be hard, but, you know, it's, like I said, it's needful. It's, it's, it's a, there's always a reason behind why God allows us to go through things. And we may not realize it right away, but maybe later down the road you look back and, oh, this is why God has allowed me to go through it. And every one of us get to that point. <clears throat> Last point I want to make. And then we'll be done. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 13. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. You see, Peter didn't just say there was a fiery trial coming. He, he said that, but it doesn't stop there. But he also says, it's going to try you. He, that's a promise. If you look at the wording very carefully, it is a promise. He's saying it will try you. As though some strange thing happened on you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when, in, when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. I'm going to close with this, that no matter what you may be going through, know that whether you know God's allowing Satan to afflict you, or if it's just your own doing, God loves you. He cares for you. He He wants. He knows what's best for you. We may think what's best for us, but we really don't. <laughs> we all get that way, right? Like, no, this is what's best for us. No, this is, you know. <laughs> but God knows what's best for you. He knows what you need. He knows what will humble you. He knows those things. Why? Because he created you. He's your father. He knows everything about you. As a matter of fact, he knows He knows so much about you, he even knows what you need before you even ask him. But he wants you to ask him, right? So I just want to encourage you that no matter what you may be going through, God has, God has your best interest in mind. We just may not see it right away. And I'll tell you that even through times where you kind of wonder why is this happening, God will comfort you. And he'll comfort you through his word. As a matter of fact, you know, when Paul said he sought the Lord thrice, he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. You know, when you go through hard times, God will give you grace. He'll, he'll give you grace. He'll comfort you. He'll give you grace. He's not going to beat you over the head. He won't do that. Some people might teach and preach that, but they have that's the wrong concept of God. I tell you that. You know, I've had times where I just I've doubted, and it's wrong to doubt. It is, but God, God would come in and just graciously show me, Brandon, you're my son. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
And God's good that way. Amen. He's always good. It may not seem like it, but God is always good. Whether we realize it or not. Amen. Let's go, let's go ahead and stand and we'll close in prayer.